0: Hi there, food eaters. This is Mel Weinstein, host of the Food Labels Revealed podcast and the self-professed prophet of processed foods. Welcome to the 25th episode. The aim of this podcast is to reveal to you what's in processed foods and beverages. With every episode, you'll get a mini lesson in food science and food history. In today's show, beer is on the table. Have a seat and let's talk about it. I'll explore a short history of beer, who regulates beer in the United States, what must beer makers disclose on labels, what are both the expected ingredients in beer, and what are some of the hidden ingredients. At the end of the show, we'll get a brief look at a new product hitting the grocery store shelves. For those new to the podcast, here's some of my history. I have a 30-plus year background in chemistry education, food testing, and food chemical research. And for many years, I've had a fascination, some may call it an obsession, with the processed foods we eat, what constitutes those foods, and what they could be doing to our health. This is the only podcast that I know of that is devoted to looking behind the processed food curtain at all of those strange, unusual, and sometimes dangerous ingredients that wind up in many of the foods stocked on the grocery store shelves. This is a 100% guaranteed free podcast. It won't cost you a penny, and I won't beg for money. Ever, There are no sponsors or financial supporters. All the opinions expressed in this podcast are mine, and I refuse to help promote any business, commercial product, or organization. All I ask of you is to lend me your ears for a short time to inform, to educate, and hopefully to entertain. The Food and Drug Administration has made it easy for consumers to find out what's in commercial foods and drinks. Of course, it's simply a matter of looking at the ingredients label or the nutrition facts label on the package, can, or bottle. However, there are some foods and drinks that are not required to provide an ingredients label, and even ones which do might not reveal all the ingredients that wind up in the product. There are components in our food let's call them hidden ingredients that most of us will never know about, but which could affect our health, violate our personal food preferences, or simply just horrify us. This is true across the whole food system. I'm talking about additives, adulterants, processing aids, packaging chemicals, biocides, pollutants, etc. So, that's the purpose of this kind of show. The first time I explored this subject was in episode number 19, called The Hidden Ingredients in Wine. Now I'm taking a shot at beer, no pun intended. Right up front, I have to admit that I'm not much of a beer drinker. When I was in college, I really gave it my best effort, but I couldn't learn to like the taste of beer. It's just too bitter for me. I'd go out to local bars and share pictures of draft with my friends, but I wasn't crazy about it. Of course, at that young age, Getting a buzz was the main thing, but that wasn't easy. It required downing large volumes of amber liquid and a great deal of kidney stress. In those days, in Ohio, the beer was mandated to contain no more than 3.2% for underage drinkers. Those politicians really knew what they were doing, so it took a Herculean effort and a massive bladder to acquire a decent buzz. Eventually, It just wasn't worth the urinal time. Nowadays, I only drink beer if it doesn't taste like beer. So I stick to specialty brews if I drink at all. Now, this fact actually helps me in reviewing beer and its ingredients. I have no biases or preferences. I don't know the difference between a lager, an ale, a stout, a malt liquor, a pilsner, or a wit beer. I'm not invested in this information at all. During the show, I'm going to take a look at three subjects. First, the history of beer, second, the labeling of beer, and finally, the ingredients in beer, both known and hidden. Let's start with a little history. I always like to know where things come from and how they developed into modern day products. Now, whole volumes have been written on the history of beer, so I'm just going to tread lightly here. As you might expect, humans have been drinking beer for thousands of years, It's thought that the Chinese began brewing beer in the 8th century BC. But in the West, the roots appear to be in Mesopotamia, somewhere in modern Iran and Iraq, around 3300 BC. Since beer making requires grain, this time period makes sense, since modern agriculture, uh, involving the intentional planting of crops, probably began around 12,000 years ago. The link between grain and beer was likely bread, which required leavening through fermentation by yeast. Of course, back then nobody knew what yeast was, but it could be propagated and reused as a culture, such as in sourdough bread. In Mesopotamia, beer became a popular drink and was a daily dietary staple. The brew was very thick, like porridge, and straws may have been invented at that time just so people could easily drink the stuff. The first recipe for beer is thought to be written in 1800 BC by the Babylonians. Those people took their beer seriously, and the subject gets addressed in their code of laws called the Habarabi. They brewed many different kinds of beer which were classified into 20 categories according to their characteristics. The merchants of Babylonia brought their beer products to Egypt, where it also became very popular. The Egyptians used honey as a fermentable sugar in their beer. The workers at the Giza Pyramid received beer rations three times a day, and beer was often used throughout Egypt as payment for labor. Beer was enjoyed so regularly among the Egyptians that it caused Queen Cleopatra VII to lose popularity toward the end of her reign. In order to pay for her wars with Rome, she, she implemented a tax on beer, beer, the first ever, which she claimed was to deter pumpkin public drunkenness. As beer was often prescribed for medicinal purposes, there were over 100 remedies using beer, the tax was considered unjust. From Egypt... Beer made its way to Greece, then later to Rome. However, the peoples of Greece and Rome liked their more potent wine much better, so beer did not become popular in those countries. It was considered a beverage for barbarians. In fact, the Teutonic or Germanic tribes of northern Europe really got off on beer. They started brewing it in 800 BC. The Roman historian Tacitus wrote about them, quote, To drink, the Teutons have a horrible brew fermented from barley or wheat, a brew which has only a far removed similarity to wine. The word beer is English, but is derived from the Latin word bebere, which is related to the German word beer B I E R. By the Middle Ages in Germany, the craft of brewing beer was taken over by Christian monks, and became an integral part of monastic life. Beer as a beverage was so important to the German peoples that strict laws were promulgated to keep it from getting adulterated. In 1516 AD, the German Reinheitsgebot, called the Bavarian Purity Law, was initiated to regulate the ingredients which could be used in brewing beer, which were simply water, barley, and hops. Later, yeast was added once a commercial process was discovered to produce it. The Germans also considered beer a staple and instituted a daily beer ration for its citizens. As stated earlier, there is a long history to beer, and I'm not going into it deeply here. To finish off this part, I'll mention a little bit about the history of beer in the United States. Of course, the colonies got their beer from England, where... By the 15th century, breweries had become well-established. The first beer brewed in the New World was in 1587 in the Virginia Colony, but frankly, it was not a hit. The first commercial brewery was established by the West Indies Company in 1602 in New Amsterdam, the original name for New York City, after experienced brewers emigrated from England. Some interesting trivia... George Washington and Thomas Jefferson had their own brew houses. Samuel Adams operated a commercial brewery, and lastly, in 1757, George Washington penned a personal recipe entitled quote, "To Make Small Beer." Unquote. In part 2 of the podcast, I want to talk about the labeling of beer. This is really a tough subject, very confusing. I've read that even brewers in the industry have difficulty understanding the rules and regulations concerning the labeling of beer. This is because labeling can differ based on beer type, alcohol content, how it's being served, and other factors. I'll do the best I can. If, after hearing my explanation, you want to put a bullet through your head, I'll completely understand. It all started in the 1920s with Prohibition. Remember that time? Well, I don't either. You'd have to be well over 90 years old and I seriously doubt that I have any listeners that old. During the era of prohibition in the United States, alcoholic beverages were banned from manufacture, transport, and sale. Once the government figured out that the ban was ineffective due to bootlegging and citizens were still getting drunk, Congress decided to pass another law allowing the production of alcoholic beverages. It was called the Federal Alcohol Administration Act of 1935, which is still in force. The government saw an opportunity to make money off of alcoholic beverages. It wasn't the first time. Back in 1791, the government imposed a whiskey tax, which led to the struggle called the Whiskey Rebellion. In 1935, instead of placing alcoholic beverages under the FDA, or its equivalent at the time, they were placed under the Federal Alcohol Administration Act, which was administered by the TTB, the Tobacco, Tax, and Trade Bureau, a division of the Treasury Department. Of course, that means money. The TTB could tax alcoholic beverages and produce a separate stream of income for the government. Since the TTB was in charge, they determined the rules and regulations for labeling beer and other alcoholic beverages. Now those rules are based on what ingredients are used to make the beer and not its alcoholic content. For example, beers made from malted barley or malt beers have one set of rules, while beers made from substitutes of barley, like sorghum, rice, or wheat, and beers made without hops, follow a different set of rules. The non-malted barley beers fall under the FDA's jurisdiction. Are you confused yet? Those other beers are required to have a label that states what non-barley grain was used, a statement of ingredients, and they need to include nutritional information unless exempt. Of course, most beers are made from barley, so what is required for their labeling? The label must state the type of beer. For example, draft, ale, stout, etc. The name and address of the bottler or importer. The percentage of alcohol, which is called ABV, alcohol by volume. And then they have to include any claims regarding low carbs or a light beverage. Uh, A light beverage must list the calorie content. Then, of course, there is a health warning statement the brand, the serving size, and the country of origin. The health warning statement mandated in 1988 goes something like this. Quote, According to the Surgeon General, women should not drink alcoholic beverages during pregnancy because of the risk of birth defects. Consumption of alcoholic beverages impairs your ability to drive a car or operate machinery and may cause health problems. End quote. The only time that malt barley beers are required to include nutrition labeling is when they are sold in a restaurant. The FDA announced in 2014 that, starting in May 2017, all restaurants would be required that all calorie and nutrient information for beer be fully disclosed by serving sizes on menus in the restaurants. Has that been done by March 2018, the time of this podcast? Good question. I don't know. My guess would be no, since I haven't heard any hubbub about this in the media. In 2007, the TTB passed a rule proposing new labeling regulations requiring that all alcoholic beverages provide a serving facts panel, including a statement of calories, carbs, fat, and protein. The five previous attempts at imposing a similar rule in 1974, 79, 80, 85, and 2005 all failed. One commentator has said, quote, One of the dubious grounds for these failures was an argument by industry that putting a nutrition label on alcohol would deceive consumers into believing that alcohol is part of a nutritious diet. It is hoped that this type of paternalistic argument, that keeping calorie information from consumers is somehow in their best interest, will no longer be seen as persuasive, especially in light of the current obesity crisis, end quote. To check out these labeling requirements, I took a trip to my local liquor store to peruse the hundreds of beer brands in their coolers. I wound up only looking at about a dozen beers, but they ranged from regular beer to malt liquors to wheat ales to stouts to shanties. Most of these beers had only the required information as mentioned earlier. Only a few that I looked at had any nutritional information, and none of those beers listed ingredients unless the beer was characterized by some special flavorings. I was surprised that a few of the beers didn't even list the alcohol content, although maybe I just failed to see the number on the can or bottle. On some containers, uh, the writing was, was really small. To finish off this topic, I want to say a few words about alcohol content. After Prohibition had been repealed, Congress passed a law in 1935 banning the practice of labeling the alcoholic content of beer. Can you believe that? The assumption was that consumers would buy the strongest beer, and by not disclosing this information, the government hoped to prevent breweries from competing and engaging in strength wars. In 1995, to their credit, Core successfully challenged this law. Currently, the feds leave it up to the states to decide whether to include ABV, again that's uh, alcohol by volume, which has resulted in a complicated mishmash of state and federal regulations on the subject. New York prohibits labels from including ABV, for example, while North Carolina, Washington, and New Hampshire mandate labeling beers over 6%, 8%, and 12% respectively. In other parts of the world, the alcohol content can range from 25 to 25% ABV. So imagine the unsuspecting customer who orders a 25% beer thinking that he was drinking the typical 5% content beer found in the United States. Because the rules for labeling alcohol content vary from state to state, the Beer Institute representing over 3,300 brewers, recently proposed the Brewers' Voluntary Disclosure Initiative, which will transition all participating brewers to the declaration of the ABV on their products. Now, that's a voluntary organization, and so the rule is not mandated by the federal government. In the meantime... If you're a beer fan, take a look at your bottled and canned beers and and see if an ABV is listed, particularly if you live in a state that doesn't require it, like New York or Delaware. That will tell you if the voluntary agreement is in place. Now that we got the tedious and sleep-inducing topic of the legalities behind beer labeling, let's move on to the main subject in part three, the hidden ingredients in beer. You know, when you think about it, With the exception of the alcohol, for most beers, all the ingredients are hidden, since, as we just found out, at the present time, there aren't any regulations requiring the listing of ingredients. So, unless a brewing company chooses to voluntarily provide that information on a label or at a website, you're not going to know about the ingredients. Just out of curiosity, I looked up two national brands, Miller Coors and Anheuser-Busch Budweiser brand. Interestingly, uh, before accessing information about the beers, each manufacturer required the entry of my birth date to make sure I was not underage. Of course, that screening can't be very effective, given that any half-wise minor could enter a date indicating they were over 21. Surprisingly, the Miller Coors Company provides a brand nutritional data page listing the ABV, ABV, calories, fat, sodium, carb, fiber, sugars, and protein for the many dozens of brands they manufacture. Pretty impressive. The brand with the highest ABV was Colorado native Imperial Porter with 9.5% alcohol. At the Budweiser webpage, however, I did not find any ingredient lists. The company does report the ABV, calorie content, fat, carbs, and protein. So, without searching each individual brewery, it would be tough to know about what ingredients show up in which beer. According to the source of all knowledge, Wikipedia, there are, as of 2013, 2822 breweries in the United States alone, Including 2,768 craft breweries, such as brew pubs and microbreweries. So, I'm not going to be listing ingredients for specific brands, but I'll generalize about common ingredients used in the beer brewing industry. In the history section, I mentioned that the Germans were the first people to really nail down and legally define what constitutes beer. The list of ingredients is really simple it includes water, a carbohydrate source, hops, and yeast. For the Germans, the carbohydrate source was defined as barley or malt malt barley. The malt barley gets broken down by fermentation, where large carbohydrate molecules are split into simple sugars. The hops were the magical ingredient which produced unique bitter flavors in the beers. There are dozens and dozens of hop varieties, so the flavorings imparted to beer are innumerable. The flavor comes from the hop flowers. There are over 250 essential oils in the flowers, which not only create bitter and non-bitter flavors, but also aromas as well. One savvy entrepreneur in the United States has made a non-beer sparkling soda flavored with hops. Not sure I would like that. Uh, The beverage is called H2OPS, or H2OPS, sparkling hops water. Now the next essential ingredient to make beer is yeast, a living organism which initiates anaerobic fermentation, that is in the absence of oxygen, to produce the alcohol. By the way, carbonation takes place at the end of the beer making process with the addition of pressurized carbon dioxide. Lastly, water is essential, not only to produce a liquid beverage, but also the quality of the water influences the fermentation process. That's why you hear beer manufacturers gush over how good their water is. So, let's look at other ingredients used in beer formulas, such as grain adjuncts, which you might see on the label. Then there are sweeteners, chemical additives, and processing aids, which you're not likely to see on the labels. Barley or malt barley was the grain of choice for German beers. But over the centuries, various combinations of grains have been incorporated into Western beer recipes. The following grain adjuncts have been used. Corn, oats, rice, rye, and wheat. Sometimes sweeteners are added to beer mashes to increase sweetness or boost the alcohol content, or to make a unique beer, such as mead, which has honey in it. Other common sweeteners are sucrose, dextrose, and corn syrups. Sometimes natural ingredients are used to impart unique flavors or colors, such as cinnamon, extract, cocoa, coffee, which is used in stouts and porters, pumpkin, orange peel, coriander, and other spices. Some beers have fruity characteristics and utilize various kinds of fruit juices. Then there are the chemical additives, which are all synthetic. Calcium chloride is sometimes used to boost enzyme activity for better fermentation. Caramel color, as in soft drinks, is added to impart a dark color. Some beers, particularly ales, are preserved with chemicals such as sodium benzoate and potassium sorbate. Then there are enzymes that are used to help break down the grains to move the fermentation process along. Some of the enzymes include beta-glucanase, proteases, amyloglucosidase, xylanase, and lipases. Then a chemical agent might be added called lysozyme to sterilize yeast and kill off bacteria. Also, there's an additive called whorl flock used in beers for, for creating clarity. Whorl is a mixture of Irish moss and carrageenan that helps to precipitate haze-causing proteins and beta-glucans. Then there are the processing aids. Beer manufacturers can use a synthetic chemical called dimethyl-dicarbonate, or it's known as DMDC. (laughs) This is the ingredient of the day. This substance is used for microbial control. Typically, it's added before the filling of bottles or cans to destroy any remaining bacteria. It quickly breaks down into small amounts of methanol and carbon dioxide in the beverage. I think the originators of the German pure beer law would be shocked to see this chemical in beer. Beer makers may use sunflower lecithin and hops extract, both derived from natural materials, which are used as anti-foaming agents. They certainly would not want their beer to foam out of control. Then, believe it or not, some plastics are allowed as processing aids. A polymer known as PPVP-PVI can remove heavy metals, such as iron and copper, during the filtration process in the beer production. Heavy metals can cause taste problems. Another polymer known as PPVPPS is used as a filtering aid. The PS in the acronym stands for polystyrene, a synthetic rubber used in tire manufacturing. That concludes section three on beer ingredients. With all the varieties and brands of beers, there are myriad natural and synthetic ingredients that can wind up in beer. Uh, with the labeling laws in flux, it may not be much longer before beer manufacturers are required to list on labels all the ingredients used in their products. We shall see. Okay, food eaters, it's time to introduce a new product, Hitting Store shelves. In the last few shows, I've mentioned some healthier snacks, showing that processed foods don't have to be deadly. Those products had a low number of ingredients, often were made from whole foods, and did not include synthetic ingredients such as preservatives, colorings, and flavors. Well, now I'm back to my old ways. Today's new product is bound to shorten your life, or at least to make it less comfortable. I say that tongue-in-cheek. An occasional bad food is not going to kill you, but we have to keep in mind that a steady consumption of these foods will definitely bring on bad health and hasten your death. Today's new product, formulated for Easter, is crispy cream Reese's Peanut Butter Egg Donut. Now that's a mouthful, pun intended. This product consists of a donut, filling, topping, and icing. The company describes the product as, quote, an unglazed shell filled with a yummy blend of peanut butter cream, spelled with a K, dipped in a custom Hershey's chocolate icing, topped with chopped, chopped peanuts, and decorated like an egg with blue and yellow icing. End quote. Let's look at the ingredients label. Not counting water and vitamins, the total number of ingredients is 100. Yes. I did say 100 ingredients in a single donut. However, not all the ingredients are unique. For example, sugar shows up 8 times on the label, and salt 5 times. Just counting unique ingredients gives a total of 53. That's still an astounding number of ingredients. Just imagine 53 different food materials all coming together in just one donut. Yikes! I mentioned sugar earlier, which refers to sucrose or table sugar, but there are other sugar types in this donut, such as corn syrup, in there three times, dextrose once, and high fructose corn syrup, in there twice. All in all, sugar shows up 14 times on the label. Then, of course there's fat. That appears eight times on the label, and even worse, hydrogenated fats are used, which can include heart-unhealthy trans fats. The label reads like a laundry list of processed foods, including preservatives, artificial colors, and flavorings, emulsifiers, gums, and texturizers. This donut is a who's who of industrial additives. Taking a quick look at the Nutrition Facts label, each donut contains 22 grams of sugar, that's one and a half tablespoons, 22 grams of fat, that's again one and a half tablespoons, with almost half the fat being saturated. And then there's 170 milligrams of sodium, that's seven percent of the daily limit. And each donut has 380 calories Over 10% of the daily recommendation, and half of those calories come from fat. And finally, there are four out of seven common allergens in this product. Let me editorialize a moment. Now, we know that the government has a required warning on beer containers regarding the alcohol content, but don't you think there should be some kind of health warning on Krispy Kreme donuts? Let me just make one up. Quote This product. Consumed in large quantities on a regular basis may initiate coronary heart disease, stroke, high blood pressure, cancer, prediabetes, and early death. End quote. Well, it's time to end the program, food eaters. I hope you've picked up a few things about beer that you didn't know before. Maybe you'll be more conscious the next time you make a beer selection, particularly if the hidden ingredients matter to you. Maybe you'll do some searching online to see which manufacturers reveal the ingredients in their products. The subject of hidden ingredients is vast, so if you enjoyed this program and would like to hear more of the same, drop me a line and let me know. To all you food eaters out there, thanks for tuning in. If you could leave a review, good or bad, at the iTunes store, I would greatly appreciate it. You can find all the episodes of Food Labels Revealed and their show notes at the hosting website called Podbean. That's at www.podbean.com or by googling Food Labels Revealed. And of course, you can always listen to the podcast on your smartphone or tablet wherever podcasts are found. Also, if you have a question or comment on anything about food ingredients or this podcast, feel free to drop me a line at foodlabelsrevealed at gmail.com. That's all one phrase, foodlabelsrevealed at gmail.com. Here's a little sneak preview. Processed foods are not just found in grocery, convenience, big box, and bodega stores. They are also very prevalent in fast food restaurants. In an episode coming to you soon, the self-professed profit of processed foods will take on the fast food industry. Stay tuned. Until next time, take care, and if you want to eat well and keep yourself healthy, eat food mainly from natural plants, not manufacturing plants.